Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls Like 27 by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Um, it was pretty good mm-hmm. up until about Friday. Yeah. Um, because I've started like ignoring the entire internet now. Yeah. Because all it is is last scene of this XY Avengers explained why this isn't a plot hole. And I was like, <laughs> I don't get to see it until Sunday. Leave me alone, everyone. Leave me alone. Um, so I haven't seen Endgame yet. And so I, I don't get to it until Sunday afternoon. Well, that's, so. I, first of all, I wish you good luck in avoiding spoilers. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. You haven't avoided the spoilers? <laughs> no. I've gotten inadvertently spoiled a couple of times. Have you just now have you only been exposed to the spoilers that we all knew were gonna happen, or have they managed to spoil things you didn't know were gonna happen? Managed to spoil like a couple things I didn't know slash think was going to happen. Uh-huh. So I was just went, oh, oh okay. Bummer. Well that's not fun. Yeah. No. Anyway. Well, after yeah. you've seen it, text me and we can exchange thoughts. Listeners, I don't know if okay. we'll go so far as to re-rank all the Marvel films. I would require a lot of thought yeah. to throw in Captain Marvel and these more recent ones, but uh, I will appreciate your thoughts and um, yes, it's been quite the monoculture week as you wrote in your, your tiny letter this week. Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, because, yeah, I'm, I don't really think Game of Thrones is a monoculture. I do think MCU is much closer. <laughs> but that's because I'm in the MCU and I don't care about Game of Thrones at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's the thing is I'm, you know, I've been watching Game of Thrones. I've been, um, you know, very much looking forward to it and very much enjoying mm-hmm. the experience of watching it and with other people and all of that stuff. But it, it's, I, it's so connected from the rest of my TV viewing that I didn't even think you should add it to the rundown because it's yeah. a show that you watch that people are obsessed with, and so you should talk about it on your podcast. I thought you <laughs> just like I didn't even it. think of it. <laughs> no, I'm I was watching. You know, so I listeners, I was like, oh yeah, that's a show I watched. Why didn't I talk about the premiere on our podcast? So I will talk about it a bit this week, and I have it in the rundown so that I don't forget to talk about it. But um, yeah, it, it it's it's such a very different. I engage with that show in a very different way than I engage with other shows on TV. And, like, I don't really think of it in terms of is it good or not. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's interesting. We'll talk about it a bit. Or I'll actually say, I'll talk about it. You don't watch it. I'll talk about it no. a bit. When I, because the answer to, to the question of is it good or not is, I don't know, but also no. <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, know. Yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's just such different storytelling, you know? It's it's such a different version of storytelling that it's hard to use the same rubric for whether something is good or not. Because um, as an as an episode of TV is a cohes, it doesn't work the way that other shows work, um, or that we want them to work. Uh, to 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 tell a clear narrative, it's, it's just all set up, set up, set up. Pay off this thing from six years ago, like. And that's really satisfying in the whole of the whole series, but 
in that just sounds like a soap opera to me. It was well, just is. described a soap opera. It is a soap opera. <laughs> it's and so it's it's you know it's very similar actually to to Avengers Endgame in that it's mm-hmm. it's less about the individual as it is the culmination of everything, and yeah. so that makes it difficult to analyze in the standard way that we do um, or that critics tend to. And so like it's it's easy then to overweight it towards. Does it is it satisfying if you've watched everything else and underweight it towards yeah but really how good is it <laughs> like yeah sure 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 if it wasn't drawing on all these other things would it still be good yeah so and anyways we'll talk a little bit more about Game of Thrones later in the podcast uh, this week we want to talk a bit about some of the TV news obviously there's the the writers and agent strike thing that's happening right now uh, not a strike that's not the right word but um, the, there's the they are. What's the right term? Broken up? Like they they've all they've all been fired. Yeah, no, like thousands of writers have fired their agents. Yeah. So and Kyle Killian is apparently an asshole about all of this, which is not what I expected, but there you go. So mm-hmm. this has at least ruined Kyle Killian for us. Well, there we go. Um amongst this news, because it's staffing season, so of course that is all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of wrinkles uh-huh. in there. We have news on some cancellations. Alas, I know some of our listeners will be very disappointed that Santa Clarita Diet has been canceled after three seasons on Netflix. Um, some may also be excited that the Wahlburgers was renewed for ten seasons. It's going to be their final season on Annie, but uh, yeah, that is still on the air. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't realize it'd been on for ten years. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's just sort of been around. You know, I've never watched uh-huh. it, but you like see it when you're flipping past uh ncis la and nola have been renewed which is not very surprising uh, but the one i think that we care most about is that wrecked has been canceled on tbs yep. so we will not be getting any more adventures with the wrecked crew like one of their more reliable comedies i would say even yeah. more reliable than uh than Andrew Tribeca, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's, especially after that first season, it was much more reliable uh, than Andrew Tribeca. Uh, it was not as high concept as Andrew Tribeca, which helped it. And, um, and not, talk- as, not as high of heights, I think. Yeah, no, that is also true. It's definitely not as high of heights. But uh, it just didn't perform as well um, or mm-hmm. in a way that TBS was happy with. Nobody watched it. Yeah. No, no no one watched direct. I literally know no one else who watched it, Noel, except for you. <laughs> Yeah, no, the review, the viewing numbers for Wrecked in the third season were dismal, even by, you know, basic cable standards of sitcoms. So it's like, oh, yeah, that seems like a reasonable thing to do, especially with probably how expensive this show is, mm-hmm. given its location shooting alone. And so while I'm disappointed, I'm also not surprised because we would have heard about a pickup for season four well before now, since this is about the time that it normally comes starts like promoting itself to come back. So it was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. You could have told us a little sooner, Kevin, but I know you're real busy watch- watching Warner Media streaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Good Fight has been renewed, which is exciting. Yes. Um, and C- CW renewed like everything that they hadn't renewed already. They did. So. Yeah, no, this is the first time that the CW has review- renewed its entire schedule. Uh, top to bottom. So this week they announced the renewals for All-American, Roswell, New Mexico, In the Dark, and The 100, which hasn't even started season six yet. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time that they've uh, done this since they've come in. And they have still have like four pilots in contention, including uh, the Batwoman pilot, which mm-hmm. is probably going to get picked up because it'll 
almost certainly replace Arrow yeah. <laughs> after, after the midseason. So, yeah, but yeah, the, the CW, I'm super intrigued about what CW is going to look like, especially come next year following the Warner Media merger, mm-hmm. uh, like kind of sol- being solidified over the summer. Yeah, we will. We will see. Yeah. Um, now, I've seen these articles about animated Star Trek at Nickelodeon. I thought this meant that the animated Star Trek original series, a TOS animated series, was being shown on Nickelodeon. Is that not the... Is there? Is this a new animated Star Trek, or is this, like, the classic one? This is a completely new animated Star Trek. If you want to watch the original animated Star Trek, you can do that on Netflix or on CBS All Access. Uh-huh. Um, why would you? Yeah. But you can. Yeah. Um, no, so this is a brand new um, Star Trek uh, animated series. Uh, details on it are a little scarce right now. Um, but it's going to be CG animated um, through CBS Television Studios and Nickelodeon, naturally, uh, since those two co- those two respective companies, CBS and Viacom, are actually reapproaching merging back together again after disassembling themselves back in the '90s. Um, this is going to come from the folks behind uh, Troll Hunters and the Ninjago franchises Mm -hmm. which kind of probably tells us everything we may need to know about this show um in terms of its humor and approach to things but this will deal with a group of teenagers a lawless group of teenagers so delinquents in the federation um who discover a derelict starfleet ship and then use it to search for adventure meaning and salvation that's like the log line from variety about this so Kate's yawning already, everyone, and that's probably the correct response. <laughs> oh, I think that could be fun. I'm just tired because, again, we haven't learned our lesson and we're recording in the morning. Um, though at a much more reasonable hour, let it be said. Um, the Yeah, I mean, like, there's there, this could really work for Nickelodeon. Um, so I hope it does. I would like there to be more good Star Trek out there. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to seek it out. What about you? Oh, no, probably not. Um, no. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Well, listeners, let us know if you're excited to have animated Star Trek out there. Um, our last bit of TV news, uh, we, we got to talk about, however, you know, we'll probably keep it a little brief, but um, David Milch has come forward and said that he's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Of course, you people will know him as one of the great TV creators uh, of the 90s aughts and further. Um, well, most recently, people will you know, have seen his stuff around because the Deadwood movie is coming out on May 31st, I think it is. And he's the creator of Deadwood. Um, So just as someone so intrinsically tied to language and uh, his very specific uh, style of writing, I certainly like it. This is, I can't imagine a diagnosis that someone like Milch would, you would assume would dread more so it's certainly uh, our thoughts are with david milch and his family uh and anyone dealing with alzheimer's yeah no other way to do this this is going to be an awkward transition we're talking about twilight zone at the end of the episode that's going to be that's going to be fun the the new uh 2019 version but let's listen to fantasia barino's hood boy just hard cut just like completely totally completely disconnected from from our what we were just talking about um but let's let's head into our weekend TV. So uh, enjoy, please, a little Fantasia. We'll be right back with our weekend TV. Yeah. 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 So let me tell you about a player I know. Six foot four, two twenty five. He's all the way live. See where I come from. We like 
That was Fantasia Barino's Hood Boy, which was the lip sync uh, for your life song this week on Drag Race. This week in comedy and reality, we're going to talk a bit about last week tonight with John Oliver, uh, which the episode was the Mueller Report. But what we care about is the last segment, which if you haven't seen it, you'll be delighted. Just just a moment. Um, (laughs) In just a moment. Then I'll talk briefly about Veep, South Carolina. Noel, you're going to talk about the last OG scenario and the return of The Amazing Race for season 31. I am behind, but uh, I look forward to your thoughts. And if, if I need to catch up here, Knock the Newbie Out of Us is the name of this week's episode. Then we'll round things out with Drag Race, last week's Snatch Game at Sea, and this week's LADP, LA, Los Angeles Drag Patrol. So first up is last week tonight. And yes, the Mueller Report. They talked about all that. What we care about is they did another mascot thing, and it's adorable and lovely. And Noel, please let the people know what we're talking about. Right. So for a, for a little while now, a rogue mascot has been plaguing the city of Susaki in Japan uh, by the name of Chitan. And Chitan has a number of like really kind of surrealist videos of just doing random things. I encourage you to just to look them up because they're all very interesting and fun and again, slightly deranged. But slightly the The video of Chitan goes to visit your house. He puts a baseball bat in his leg so that he can go break into your home. That's not slightly deranged. It is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) So um, the city of Susaki hasn't been like thrilled about this because in case you don't know, Almost every city, almost like many major cities in Japan have actual mascots or some sort of representative uh, because mascot culture is very large in Japan. And this is a major sort of way of marketing your city. Um, And this is just commonplace. So they actually have a they actually have a mascot uh, who is named Shinjo-kun. Um, and it's an otter with a ramen bowl on its head. And it's very adorable. It's very very cute. cute. Yes. Um, but Chitan and Susaki are sort of actually like best friends, except for the fact that Chitan isn't allowed to interact with Shinju- Sh- Shinjo-kun anymore. And it was sad. Everyone was sad. So last week tonight, sent Shijan, a, <laughs> j- a Japanese mascotified John Oliver, over to Susaki, where he has been formally adopted as a co-official mascot of the city. <laughs> And now spends time with Shinjo-kun. So there's a really good um, bit uh, narrated in like a Planet Earth sort of style about uh, Chijon's journey from Tokyo to Susaki and trying to find Shinjo-kun and just their sort of exploration of Susaki. It's very good. It's very sweet. And it's all just the entire thing is very silly and heartwarming. And it was sort of like the best way to kick off the week Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways of like, oh, this will help me get through being rejected for multiple jobs this week. Yay. (laughs) Yay. And that's kind of how it felt. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed this. I really appreciated that they did this instead of like a deeper-ish dive into the Mueller report, Mm -hmm. which I'd gotten elsewhere so this sort of counter programming i think worked really really well well and especially following up the Mueller because they did a segment on it but like Mm -hmm. following that up with yeah we're not gonna spend the whole episode on this because frankly no one needs us to uh let's instead do a distinctly 
only last week tonight would do this kind of segment. And yeah, it was a lovely palate cleanser and uh, delightful and ridiculous and fun. So highly recommended. Listeners, go check it out if you haven't already. Uh, less recommended for me is Veep. Uh, this week's episode of South Carolina. And they only have seven episodes in their final season. And it, so it was not, I guess, not unexpected that the fourth episode, which is this past week's episode, would be like the pivot point. But it's it's a really abrupt turn because by the end of the episode, they've taken and just doubled down hard on Trump allegories and analogs in the show. So um, Amy, they just like have her flip into just a Kellyanne Conway vehicle you know for for satire so um she decides like screw it i'm gonna go double down on jonah um and his increasingly trumpian hateful uh bigoted rhetoric screw america you know and uh and so that apparently means that she now needs to do her makeup differently hold her entire body posture differently uh curl her hair and uh make really like completely change her physicality and that's just stupid. <laughs> so you can, cause it, it, the, the episode does a couple different things. It gives Selena a, the Chinese are gonna help you, like, interfere in the election to help you storyline if you, if you'll do these things for them regarding, uh, uh, the, the, these islands, uh, the rights to these islands in, in the, the, I think it's oh I don't remember where it was but it's like a a, a set of islands whose uh sovereignty has been disputed. Um and so then she she uh in a desperate, you know, attempt to pivot uh so makes some remarks towards that and then various things happen during the South Carolina primaries that benefit her and she ends up winning the primary. So like I think that is a much more interesting way to take on Trump issues. So like okay, let's give the same the thread of foreign interference and how would Selena react to that and how would the campaign, you know, like, would she go for it? And yes. <laughs> and then what would happen? I think that really works. They reveal the Andy Daly character is actually like a Paul Manafort. Like, he's just been like a bumbling background character for the season. And now he's revealed to be like ice cold and a international power player. Um, and so that's really fun. Oh, now I just want Andrew Daly in an ostrich jacket. <laughs> yes. We'll see if they take <coughs> there. But then on the other half of the show, instead of taking ideas and then filtering them through the lens of the characters, they just start turning the other characters into Trump campaign officials and administration mm -hmm. figures. And that's not interesting to me. I'm interested in the characters I've been following for seven years. Uh, and and yeah. seeing how, it, like, if you want to show a progression, you can do that, but they don't spend the time to do that this season. And so they start the season with Amy in one place and 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 spend two and a half episodes with her in that place. Then they pivot it. It's like they, it's like they ha had a, a discussion in the writer's room and decided, oh, you know what we should do? Kellyanne Conway. But they didn't decide that before the start of the season. They decided after they were like partway through, and it was too late to do it, like to to make it more gradual. So they just, you know, they they clearly have an endpoint they're working to, and that you know the point they want to make. Um, and we'll see what that how that comes together. I obviously this is a show that I really respect and has been really well written and and you know acted and edited and produced and all that stuff for 
its entire run. Um, but I'm I'm very hesitant and disappointed in that decision. You know, with Amy and some of the other like less elegantly handled threads, and I. I I just don't understand why this is their response just to take a show that already had very broad characters and to just completely ditch the more nuanced and specific elements of those characters in the literally the last handful of episodes so that we can make a point about Trump and and people in his administration points that so many shows have already made and like you don't need to do that Veep. you've already made these points in other ways. Um, yeah, so I just really hope that they've got something else planned and that it's going to be more interesting because half, like, like I said, half of this episode was really interesting and half of it was really frustrating. So I'm sure I will have thoughts before the end of the season, but for right now, I am keeping my fingers crossed that uh, I'm just going to, you know, w- one or two episodes from now, have my tail between my legs and be eating a bunch of crow because they had a brilliant plan this whole time. Because um, if not, uh, it's just it's just disappointing. So that's sort of where I'm at with Veep right now. Uh, I did not, unfortunately, catch up with the last OG, or at least this week's episode of the last OG scenario. What what went down? We're sort of like transitioning into, I guess, now that we've sort of reestablished a couple of things, we're transitioning into like larger storylines here. So um, Trey manages to secure funding for the food truck. Um, but this is also after, um, and meeting with a loan, someone who can provide a loan kind of goes sideways. Uh, so he actually ends up getting it from Josh, um, who's actually super into the idea and thinks that it's actually a really good concept overall. And so there's a little bit of like back and forth between Shay, Trey and Josh about doing this. But Josh's whole point is that no, A, this is a really good concept and B, all of this food is like non-perishable that he's using. Do you realize how cheap this is going to be for to like maintain this compared to like having to constantly restock food and that kind of thing? It's like the entire idea for the food truck is that it's food that's in prisons and but tastes good. So there's that concept um, still playing out, but like finally I think starting to get kicked up because they've gotten the truck and they've gotten like the funding to do everything and they've gotten all hooked up so that's ready to go i'm really excited to see that um with shay um the woman whose house they broke into yeah i was waiting for her to come back (laughs) she immediately comes back and uh, uh as a result of divorcing her husband and everything is like now i have a bunch of free time and i need to support myself so i'm gonna apply for the company where this woman who gave me this actually very nice pillow works for so i can get a job um so there's that aspect of it, but that tension thankfully dissipates real quickly in this episode, and they start becoming actually friends. Like, they go, Shay drags um, Amira to the kid's birthday party, and there's like a six-year age difference, but she does it entirely because she wants to actually like be friends with this woman. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed that exploration and that decision to pivot away from a workplace tension to a... I have a new friend type who's sort of like on the same wavelength that I'm on juxtaposed against the realization that maybe she's outgrown a number of her friends elsewhere 
from that we saw during the uh, roller rink episode, which is still very good. So again, there's just a lot of really solid sort of character work happening on the last OG while still generally being pretty entertaining as well. So do catch up when you have time, but it's, it's still a really strong show so far. Nice. Yeah. I've enjoyed what I've seen this season and that roller rink episode was a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with this. Uh, what about the amazing race? It's unusual for me to be behind on the amazing race. Cause I do so enjoy it. It's like the best mindless TV, uh, meaning I can like, not mindless, but I can like fold laundry and do invoicing and yeah. stuff. Um, so this season is all uh, season thirty-one. It's all reality CBS yes. reality stars, or so yes. like, or not necessarily stars, but alumni. Yeah. Um, so yes. from Big Brother and from Survivor and from The Amazing Race, I looked at the teams. I recognized most of the returning Amazing Race teams. Don't know any of the other other people. Don't really care. Uh, is it yeah. worth tuning in just in general? How have the challenges been? And specifically so I can root for some of these alumni. Right. So the challenges have been kind of so-so so far. Um, I haven't been particularly impressed. Uh, the challenge in the the main challenge, uh, the elimination sort of challenge in the first episode involves scaling up a kind of slippery mountain mm-hmm. um, in a Tokyo park. And um, Art and JJ from Border Patrol, who were in season 20 of The Amazing Race, just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, they ended up taking a four-hour penalty. Um, and there there was some really good drama about that, because Rupert and his wife, Laura, Rupert is one of the more infamous um, folks from Survivor, um, and was the only person from Survivor that I recognized, because <laughs> CBS uses him a lot in the promotions when he was on those seasons. Um, that he did it in one turn, but they were lost in that park trying to find the mountain for a solid three hours. Now, admittedly, the park is very large, but there's a big mountain with a bunch of lights around it. <laughs> <laughs> you go there. Um, so the Ripper did it in like one go. And Art and JJ were like, oh, well, we're screwed. And they were. So th- it was a first round elimination, first leg elimination. And so the second leg is one of those legs where, all right, people had some substantial leads. We're going to level everything out twice. Oh. And it's like, that's not great. Because, like, everyone was on the same flight out of Tokyo. And then they all had to wait at the same place in Laos to get their next, like, to get the next clue. Um, where did they go? Laos? Yeah, they, yeah, they went to Laos. So they had to wait at some place in Laos altogether as well. So it's like they evened it out like twice, um, which is never my favorite thing when they do this, but it's also very early. So I'm trying not to get like too annoyed by it, but it's like, why did you do this? But then they also did a double detour in the second episode. Um, a double U-turn, I should say. Um, which naturally, uh, Tyler and Corey got U-turned. Um, immediately, which um, is delightful because everyone sees Tyler and Corey as like the biggest threat, but they haven't <laughs> been performing particularly well just yet. I mean, they came in third in the first episode, but because of the double U-turn, they came in seventh this week. So what everyone needs to watch, and this is kind of like the larger thing about this season, is that all the races, all the racers, or even people from the other shows that have been on amazing race already uh in this case rachel riley was on in like season 20 or something uh seasons 20 and 24 with her husband she's on with her sister this time um but they all kind of know what to do and what to look for and how these sort of things shake out whereas 
the survivor folks and the big brother folks who haven't done this already are like this is hard (laughs) this is real hard and it's not a lot of sitting around which is what our shows are um so leo and jamal right now are dominating uh like real hardcore uh they've come in first both both episodes running and they're they're playing really quick and really smart and going through challenges very very quickly so they're doing really really well um but everyone else is sort of like trying to figure out rhythms um so we'll see um i was very much against it after the first episode because i was just like i don't like when amazing race promotes other programs yeah. as when it does and now it's just the entire season is promoting these other two programs i just went i don't like this but i kind of like this collection of people and this collection of different perspectives on being on television i think is a really interesting kind of concept to that they've explored before but now it's the entire season and i'm sort of intrigued in seeing how that plays out um as they go forward uh but at the same time i also feel like at some point, the big, the amazing race teams are just going to be like, no, we got this. We've all been here at least once before. Many of us have been here twice already. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that the amazing race teams are just all like constantly scanning yellow and red, yellow and red, yellow and red. And the uh-huh. other teams don't know to do that yet. No, no. Like that was what was really funny in like the first episode is like no one was like looking for the yellow and red. And then Leo and Jamal actually spotted a hidden place to go get a clue that they needed to go to in somewhere in downtown Tokyo, but didn't go directly to it because there were like four teams around them. Yeah. So they started yelling publicly at each other about where to go. Yeah. And then the other teams dispersed because they realized Leo and Jamal didn't know where to go. Nice. And then Leo and Jamal just went to go get the clue and left. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. That's next Everyone's level. going to get played so hard. Yeah. Nice. Okay, I'm I'm way more interested now. So I'll just see if yeah. I can catch up. Um, I, of course, am caught up on Drag Race. My review's over at the AV Club. Um, so first of all, what did you think of Snatch Game at Sea? Oh, God, it was so bad. It was really bad, right? Like... It was real bad. Yeah, no, it was aggressively bad. And it was just really disappointing. Um, And even on a level of like, these people did well, but it's also like, I don't know the person Silky was doing. So it just seemed like Silky was doing Silky again. I watched um, a quick YouTube video of T.S. Madison reacting to Silky's Snatch Game. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, no, she she completely captured this person okay. it made me appreciate silky's performance more but okay it really just speaks to silky choosing the right person yeah okay yeah it was just real bad but like you said at least the runway was real good mm-hmm. and then that that lip sync was incredible like it's a really good lip sync and the, I don't, you couldn't eliminate someone from that. No, Just couldn't. Couldn't. Couldn't be done. Like, yeah. No. No. The, um, the, uh, the person that I talked to who lets me know, just like hours before who's been eliminated Mm -hmm. so i can you know try to write my review um they faked me out they're like well off the record blah 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 goes home and i was like no 
No, the spoil because the spoilers that are out there were saying that it was a double chante. The spoilers were wrong. Yeah. Ah! And, and they're like, oh, no, no, I'm just messing with you. It was double chante. I'm like, oh, don't do that to me. Don't do that. Because it was just, um, it was really good. And so, yeah. And, and also, I think uh, even if it had been only like good and not like amazing, uh, I think yeah. I would have been okay with the double chante just because it would have gotten really boring if you didn't have two front runners. Yeah, and I mean, while it would have opened up the race, the rest of the group can't seem to find footing, really, with anyone, which is something we can talk about with LADP in a second. Um, Even though Curious, like, finding a good gear now, which I'm very excited about. Um, But I don't think that there's really a frontrunner without Brooklyn and uh, Evie there to provide it. Yeah. Well, and and that's part of what I enjoyed about uh, about LEDP is Akiria kind of coming into her own and finally, like... Because she's done a really terrific job with the like the talking head interviews, like those have all been really uh-huh. like full of personality and and energy and fun, um, in a very specific kind of chill, laid back, quieter way. Um, but that uh-huh. hasn't been translating in the challenges very well. Yes, and so to see her kind of break through that was really was really fun. I really enjoyed it. It reminds me very much of Trinity, um, in yeah. her season. And so hopefully, yeah. Kyria will keep pushing that and, and growing. Um, for me this episode like i thought they it was fine um i i want better for nina um oh man i was just so frustrated by this this week of like nina basically made sure brooklyn won yeah and like, to the point where the 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 judges specifically gave her a shout out like and of course the reason you're up here is because of nina They're like yes of course. Yeah. not that we're gonna keep nina up here to show her that hear that you know yeah but or really compliment her real good runway look yeah. that is pitch perfect and we're not going to give her any feedback about it and i just went yeah what does nina ha- who what bitch does nina need to cut yeah <laughs> well it just again it just really feels like rue has decided she's not gonna win and uh yeah not because of something she's doing but because of rue's priorities and it's frustrating because i think she's done really well like you could tell in each set there was a queen who would uh, there was a part that would get you nominated for the win if you did a good job and in yeah. each the, like there none of those scenes had two really strong potential nope. characters and yeah. that's frustrating when you you know like if you have one strong player in each then that works but if you have two strong players the other person is just kind of screwed um and it stinks yeah it does and that there's a there's there's and even though we should note that there's not clearly a good strong part in the cat fight. Oh one. no, it's like definitely the like they did a bad job, but also it was much less narratively defined than any of the other yeah. ones. And they like right. like the first two, you really are introduced to one of the characters first, and then yeah. and then the other one comes in later. So that that just lets you really build the scene and the character before you add the other. So you have three elements instead of four, three people, but with the catfight one that was not the case at all now akiria no. and evie's scene was similar but right. they were able to make more out of it and they had a much more distinct like n- right they had yeah they had like a legit narrative in it yeah and this catfight yeah. one did not now i don't know how much of that is them and how much of that is the scene they were given but i don't think any of those queens would have done particularly well with that scene no i don't think so either i think that 
uh, Plastique and Vanji both got a little bit screwed by having the cat fight thing. But then there's also just like a complete lack of solid cat stuff happening in that episode, in that segment as well, which is the other large problem. It's just like, there was some mention of milk, there was some meowing, but there just wasn't enough of all of it to like kind of cohere into something particularly funny um, or something that felt particularly sort of inspired by the sketch of like being a fourth level vegan (laughs) (laughs) and that kind of stuff, which is very good Mm -hmm. or that whole, the entirety of like the Evie and Akira segment of being really narratively driven so that there is a good like arc to it, um, which is, wasn't in actually a lot of these of like everyone kind of started at 10, if not Mm -hmm. like around seven or eight. And yeah. then you didn't have anywhere else to go, which is why watching the Akira and Evie one, even if it's not necessarily as funny as I think the Brooklyn and Nina one, like overall is, it just felt like more satisfying yeah. in a way that the other ones did not because there was an actual through line there. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the reading challenge? It was bad. Oh, okay. Like, I liked I it a lot. You didn't like it? I think Brooklyn, like, Brooklyn was very clearly the winner, and Brooklyn came prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't feel like everyone else, like, provided a lot of material, which is why there was so much clapback <laughs> from the group. Um, it's just like, no, you're, this is bad. No, I think that they were just kind of, I think it was just a very flat read from a lot of the queens. So I didn't really enjoy it very much. I thought Nina and Brooklyn did. F- both pretty okay in it. Well, Brooklyn did very well, but everyone else just like eh, it was. It was fine. Oh, see, I really enjoyed the segment, and part of why I really enjoyed the segment is that uh, a lot of the people didn't do that well, but it was really fun yeah. to watch. And that's not usually the case with these reading challenges. And I feel like over the last several seasons, they've got increasingly like weighted in importance for the fans, and so there's been yeah. this stress and pressure uh, uh to to perform that we see with snatch game um that's that's yeah. been tied in with the reading is fundamental challenge so when nina just goes out and just totally bomb like bungles her first read like yeah, the delivery true. of yeah. it um it it really like diffused and released all the tension and so everybody could just kind of relax and have fun with it and so the uh-huh. i thought that the deliveries were better it was much less stilted than it's been because in the past several seasons for these cha- the the reading challenge the queens have like come like they've they were very written and and they were not well delivered and so this felt much more relaxed and observational and and off the cuff it i'm sure it wasn't but everybody was much more relaxed so while i didn't even i don't really remember many of the reads um yeah. i enjoyed myself with the challenge much more than i have the last few seasons that's fair i could see that it just yeah i think i just i i miss like having some solid zingers as opposed to yeah. just Kind of muddling through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so. and you don't have that many comedy queens this season. You you basically right, just have which is Nina. the other problem. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's going to be part of it. But yeah, no, I agree. Brooke did a good job. I liked Evie's reads. I thought Vanjie had good reads, but not great delivery. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I just didn't didn't coalesce. But the other thing that I wrote about my review, my last thing for this is that um, oh, Blast of the Lip Sync was fine, and uh, the I liked the face kinis. Um, but, uh, I was really, uh, taken out of this episode by the editing and the producing because it was just, I felt like even more than in the recent episodes, it felt like the producers were spoon feeding 
narratives to each group. Yes. And like yeah. to a point where it's like, well, have you considered taking advantage of your dance background in this challenge? And then we get to the challenge and she's doing all these like dancer things. And I'm like, okay, so there's absolutely no sense of discovery when you just like walk up to each group and says, you need to worry about this and you need to do this. And then that's what happens. It's not interesting. You've already like, like, like the Brooke and, and um, Nina narrative. As soon as they have that first conversation, you know exactly where their thing is going to go. And so then you don't get to like, yes, I can still appreciate how well Brooke did and her achievements. And uh, Kyria did such a great job. Um, and I, that was really exciting to watch. But it's a lot, <laughs> a lot less surprising and interesting and much less of a, oh, I didn't know they had it in them when you can feel the producers like tapping you on the shoulder and like, ah, ah, right? Because he's, because, because, yeah. And I, I've, it's been not great that, that, like the level of didacticism from the producers of the season, but I felt like this episode was even more. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of that is just them going, you don't, maybe your crop isn't great for the performance stuff and we need to we need to nudge them a little harder Mm -hmm. um with this kind of stuff and i think that's what's happening is like oh we did a bunch of pageant queens this year but we're we're a variety show oops (laughs) yeah but you don't you don't have to like there's lots of things they they're choosing to include so they don't need to have like rue spell out one for one what the queens should Mm -hmm. do and then include it in the show like they can choose what like which prompts they're showing yeah but i don't know that's me listeners let me know i haven't checked the comments yet so i don't know how people feel about that one i just didn't have the energy my internet went out and so and then i had they didn't send pictures so i was like up late trying to get screen grabs via my uh my hotspot it was a whole thing so i haven't looked at the comments yet maybe they are all upset well i imagine i'll find out soon (laughs) but uh in the meanwhile what wins your week in comedy and reality uh, very specifically, uh, Chitan, Chijon, and Shinjong Kun uh, win my week in comedy and reality. What about you? Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty delightful. Uh, can can just Natasha Leone on Untucked win my uh, my my? Weekend? I didn't watch Untucked yet, so I look forward to that. Yeah, um, it's just a so, few minutes, yeah. but it's delightful. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll look forward to that. But yeah, <laughs> last last week tonight. Now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama and genre. Of the kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghost. The ones she had lost, and the ones she had found, and the ones who had loved her the most. The ones who'd been gone for so very long, she couldn't remember the names. They spun her around on the damp old stones Spun away all her sorrow and pain And she never wanted to leave Never wanted to leave Never wanted to leave Never wanted to leave Never 
that was the Jenny from Old Stones from this most recent episode of Game of Thrones. This week in drama and genre, Noel's going to kick things off with Gentleman Jack, the season premiere or series premiere I was just passing, then Killing Eve, The Hungry Caterpillar, then I'll talk Game of Thrones, Night of the Seven Kingdoms, and we'll round things out with Legends of Tomorrow, The Eggplant, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Another delightful title from the lovely writers over at Legends of Tomorrow. So first up is Gentleman Jack, um, which is the new series on HBO about is this now is this a a queer woman or is this a trans character? All, all I know is that the main character is again in the title is is passing and it's a period piece. Right. So no, this is based on the diaries of Anne Lister, who was a uh, English landowner. Uh, her diaries are quite extensive, like numbering them many thousands of pages. And she's generally considered the quote unquote first modern lesbian in a lot of instances um, because she was very open. Um, well, as open as you can be in, in that time uh, in the uh, in the 19th century and the early and mid 19th century um, about her lesbian lifestyle. And um, so it's a little like this is basically catnip um, for HBO and BBC, which is the um, whatchamacallit um, uh, is a co-production between these two areas. And so the show is based on Lister's diaries, um, which were largely written in code, which we get to see the diaries a little bit um, in this episode as Lister comes home to um, West Yorkshire. Uh, following being around and traveling a lot and studying a lot and comes home to basically find her family's fortune in decline and goes, nope, we're going to fix this. So it's very standard period piece sort of story of prodigy returns, native returns type of storyline and then goes about to woo a particularly rich young young woman who has basically no parents in the way, but a very protective aunt or grandmother type figure. Um, so there's all these sorts of characters like circulating. And so this idea of the period piece and the idea of a comedy of manners gets refracted through the fact that now we have a lesbian lead. Um, and so the first episode is pretty strong. I think there's a little bit of like direct address, fourth wall breaking type stuff, but not a lot of it, which is good. Um, I'm hoping that they keep that in check. Cause I don't want like that to keep happening too much. There's like two very like clear instances of, uh, Sir Ann Jones who plays Lister and is very, very good, um, directing the camera. But then there's also like a couple of like winking asides to it. Um, and so it's generally, I think, pretty strong. Um, people who have seen multiple episodes um, say that it maintains this level pretty solidly, which is good to know. Um, so I'm eager to watch more of it. Um, it's from uh, Sally Rainwright, who did Happy Valley, as well as uh, worked on like EastEnders and um, Coronation Street. And Soran Jones, uh, people can probably find from a range of British television series. Uh, she was um, she played Idris in The Doctor's Wife, which is probably like what most of our listeners will probably recognize her from. That would be the TARDIS for those who don't remember. Yeah, and she's also uh, the lead in Doctor Foster. Uh, she plays Doctor Foster. Foster. <laughs> Um, so I think that there's really good energy here. The production value is quite scrumptious. 
Um, the narrative seems really fun. Um, and they do a really good job of making the Lister sympathetic, unsympathetic. I mean, just like the, the range of things of being like a woman who's had her heart broken by this, uh, another woman who she was basically involved with in a pretty serious relationship in Italy and then goes, yeah, no, I'm going to marry this dude and just like devastates her. And that's why she comes back. And so we see that kind of emotional um, tumult juxtaposed against the fact that she evicts a far an entire family off a piece of property because they're not farming it well enough and th- all of this sort of stuff. So there's real good balance of like um, character personalities and traits and emotional states coming through really, really nicely here so that we both like and dislike Lister a great deal. And I'm very excited about that. And I hope that continues. And the entire idea that Lister is going to basically seduce this young ingenue for her significant allowance is also really delightful. Okay, well, I look forward to catching up with it then. Um, I know I know a little bit about Ann Lister from, uh-huh. I think, uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class did a couple podcasts on her. Um, but, yeah, that, that's intriguing and certainly having a, 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 a what sounds like a less depressing show from the creator of Happy Valley <laughs> is something <laughs> that's exciting for me because Happy Valley is very good. It was just really, it was really bleak and... Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. When it came back, I was like, no, I'm not doing that to myself, regardless of how, you know, terrific the performances are. I just I need a little sunshine. So it sounds like this has some, at least some of that. Yeah, I think that there's definitely like it's not depressing by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so even down to the point, like I said, when I said comedy manners, that was a really pointed deployment because there's even a fop doctor here. Um who is just delightfully bad at being a doctor, but is also kind of lecherous as well. And so there's that whole jive, uh, not jive, vibe of we know exactly what genre we're operating in and we're going to make sure that we hit it. And I think that that comes through really nicely, at least for the comedy stuff. Cool. Well, good. Um, what about Killing Eve? Uh, the Hungry Caterpillar. I'm I'm one behind. Last week's episode was was fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> even if it a bit like on the nose with you know what happens with v- uh, Villeneuve. Uh, uh, but anyways, the what did you think of Hungry Caterpillar? So this episode deals with the ramifications of the cliffhanger from the previous week. And if the pi- if the premiere of this season was sort of like a reset, this is a very kind of a soft reset. This is very much a hard reset of we're going to get all the gangs back together again. And we're also going to deal with the ghost as well a little bit more. Um, and so I don't want to give like too much away of it because um, part of it is just the general delightfulness of the cat and mouse game that's sort of ratcheting up again. Um, and also like Fiona Shaw is very good in this episode. Like she only has a couple of scenes, but there's the, the scene at the end is just so good because of just like a very obvious, like directorial and is also probably in the script choice of something that happens, a uh, gesture that, uh, Shaw provides, but it's the perfect capper to that scene that I don't care that it's like the obvious choice because it's very good. Um, so, but everything gets kind of, like, reset here. Everyone kind of gets back to their respective corners to deal with, I don't know, the Twelves in some capacity or whatever is going to happen. But what matters more so is that 
Eve ends up going freelance and breaking from uh, Raymond's hold, which is sad because Raymond's delightful. He's so mean. Um, so there's there's good stuff here, but it, it still feels very much like we're doing table setting type stuff. And so I'm ready for them to kind of move into a different gear. Um, and definitely I think that they're setting up a lot of things, even down to setting up more fractures in Eve and Nico's relationship are like a central part of this episode so i'm i'm really eager for them to start like really chipping away at stuff because even eve's relationship with kenny becomes strained in this this week's episode as well okay well interesting i will certainly be caught up for next week um however i am caught up on game of thrones uh night of the seven kingdoms this is their big um don't say bottle episode. Don't do it. No, because it's, it's it's not a bottle episode. There are no, scenes in so many different areas. The fact that all these sets previously existed doesn't change. <sighs> Listeners, I don't know if you can tell that Noel and I are both exhausted with some of the conversations happening on TV Twitter this week. Um, anyways, this episode is all build up for and like play setting for next week's big battle episode. Uh, there are six episodes in, in this final season. This is two of six. Um so the we get some payoff for things that have been uh, many years in coming. Brienne gets knighted in a lovely scene. Um, we get uh, oh Arya has sex uh, with, with Gendry, and apparently that was very upsetting to some people. I don't understand why, other than just people being stupid. But um, yeah, it was it was both very satisfying to see some of these conversations happen. It was very satisfying to see John come forward and tell Danny of his heritage now that he, in parentage, now that he knows it. Um, now, granted, also terrible timing, maybe wait until after the battle, because if y'all die, who cares? But um, I appreciate, like, he, he gives himself, like, an episode to process a little bit and, like, deal with it, and and stretch it out as much as he can and then just goes and tells her. So I appreciate that that is not something that they sit on for more than one episode. They are a little heavy handed with go to the crypts. You'll be safe. It's safe in the crypts. Why would you send your like non fighters to the space? That is where you keep your dead bodies when you are fighting an army that, you know, raises people from the dead. Right. Even I know that. I'm just like, why would you go where there are a bunch of dead bodies? Uh, Yeah. Anyways, so there's that. <laughs> but also, um, the, I feel like this episode really sleeps on just how... Because there's, there's a lot of stuff about Sam this season being really noble and great, and everybody loves Sam. I feel like everybody's sleeping on how bitchy Sam is, um, and that he's really, like... <laughs> He's kind of like Mean Girl in a way that I really uh, was enjoying. I don't know if it's intentional, but like he just told John, by the way, you're actually Aegon Targaryen. And uh, that means many things, including the fact that you've been sleeping with your aunt. Um, and then like proceeds to over because he's and the reason he tells John is because he's pissed off at Danny because Danny killed his, his brother. Um which fair enough, but then he proceeds to like needle John several times in the episode. Like, so did you tell her yet? Did you tell her? Did you tell her yet? It's like, dude, come on! The army of the dead's right there, and also this is—you just found out his girlfriend is his aunt. Maybe stop being a dick about it so much. I feel—I feel like there's like a, a a delicious kind of fun 
pettiness to to Sam that is totally slept on. Uh, so that's one of the things I was enjoying. Also, ghost sighting very important. But yeah, it's just a lot. I was like watching the episode, and about halfway through, I was like, okay, so they're all they're arriving tomorrow. What are they going to do for the next half hour? They like because they can't start the battle halfway through the episode. That doesn't. That's not going to work. So what are they? And and they do. I think pretty eff- effectively fill that next half hour with other little character moments and stuff, but it it results in an episode that doesn't necessarily work on its own, um, but only but slowly works to pay off earlier installments and or like episodes you know from season one, two, three, like little character beats and to really show the progression of these characters over the course of this time, and that is rewarding and fun if you're a long term viewer. But I feel like. With Game of Thrones, there's not, because uh, like, I saw a lot of people talking about how this was such a great episode, one of their favorite episodes. Like, but as an episode, does it, how much does it actually work, or is it just you liked these different beats? And the fact that there isn't much narrative or arc to the episode doesn't matter because you like the shoutouts and callbacks and references. Um, and I feel like maybe I don't. Know, I think that as we get more and more storytelling like this, which I anticipate. Um, I think the MCU is a great example of that. Uh, Maybe, hopefully critics and just like TV fans will get more clear-eyed about that. Because I I also think it's asinine to just say this is a bad episode because it doesn't work on its own. Because it's, you have to, like in what Roger Ebert always did, uh, look at what it's attempting to do and does it achieve that. And I think this, it definitely does. But I also think uh, that if something is solely reliant on enjoying, like, like appreciating a payoff several years in the coming, and not because of what happens in that episode, but because of how it relates to everything else, then that's maybe not as uh, successful as it could be. I think I think the best scenes in this episode marry both of those together. Uh, however, there was lots of really terrific comedy. Uh, there's lots of really great stuff with Tormund, of course, which means he's probably going to die. Um, but, uh, yeah, having, having like, Tormund show up when they're all, where they're all sitting around the fire and, and noticing that uh, Brienne, like, Jean is talking to Brienne and then be like, She's mine. I'm gonna piss all over this scene. And Brienne's like, "What are you doing?" And Jamie's also like, "What is happening right now?" I'm so confused. It was delightful and uh, super fun. So uh, I, I enjoyed a last like moment with all of the characters before a bunch of them are about to die. That's good. I'm glad you got that. Um, I do think that paying attention to an episode's intent is the most important type of concept, mm-hmm. um, especially in something that's structured in a way that game of thrones is and like you said of like wanting to pay off six seven years worth of narrative um that how they do that and how they structure that and also quite frankly the people watching this aren't just dropping in on season eight episode two just to see what the fuss is about they've at least watched enough to understand a lot of the character relationships i mean Mm -hmm. I almost did just to see what people were talking about and why people were so upset about this episode. Yeah. But I was also just like, I'm not going to understand anything that's really happening on like a character level. So then it becomes like a totally different lens through which to evaluate the episode. And I will mostly, most certainly end up being like, oh no, this was, this made sense from a structure sort of standpoint of like, 
this is what this episode was trying to do. And it did it very well, mm-hmm. was my concern. But it's also like, I don't know if it did or not, because I don't watch this show. But I think that that's important, especially when you're paying this kind of stuff off or when you've got a long running series like this. These kind of episodes come up every now and then. Um, especially in like a more deeply serialized sort of way, um, which is how Game of Thrones is operated in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I enjoy this episode very much. I, you know, had, I was enjoying speculating on what's going to happen next and who all's going to live and who's, who all's going to die. Um, the, I liked that they didn't spend a moment away from Winterfell. I think that was wise. Um, there was some really delightful stuff there and some scenes that needed to happen. Um, but yeah, like I think it's very much moment storytelling as opposed to episodic storytelling or even season-based storytelling. Because when you have such a long-form story as this one, like the culmination of that, like a little exchange between uh, Liana and and Jora um, is really effective. And the fact that it doesn't tie into anything else and doesn't necessarily tie into even just the episode. What we appreciate about that is that moment and how it acknowledges where these characters have come from and or where they, where they are now. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, like, if you were looking, what would make a better episode? Cutting that scene. It doesn't affect any of the other part of the episode. It doesn't help the pacing. It doesn't help the storyline. It doesn't set anything up. It's just like a, hey, these two characters haven't interacted. Let's put them together. Um, so, so it's just, again, I think I feel like it's a different kind of storytelling, moment-based as opposed to episodic, season-based, or, or anything else. So <sighs> we'll see what happens at the uh, in the next episode. I'm looking forward to some uh, some mayhem and some, some dramatic moments, and they usually have delivered really strongly on Game of Thrones with the action. So I imagine that's what we'll get with the battle uh, for Winterfell next episode. Um, okay, let's move on, though, to our last episode of the week in TV, and that is Legends of Tomorrow, The Eggplant, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. So what did what did you think of... Let's start with uh, the Nora stuff. And the Possessed witch. Ray. Yeah, the, 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 let's, let's start with... Yeah, with The Witch. Um, I'm all here for Possessed Ray. I'm very excited about giving Wrath something to do in this vein. I think it'll be either really terrible or really great but if it's really terrible it'll still be kind of great (laughs) um so i'm excited about that the overall plot for that little bit with neuron or um des des thank you i was just like it starts with a d (laughs) Uh, um i'm glad we're sort of transitioning that plot into a new gear since we only have four episodes left or i think four episodes um think i'm pretty sure it's only four um that it was time to like kick into gear and like have this so i'm glad that the threat is sort of internal in a way now as opposed to kind of more external and so i like that concept a lot um it still doesn't necessarily remedy the fact that somehow nate comes around on this mythic creature zoo um but sure, show you you hang on to that concepts for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, so how did you feel about the witch? 
I really liked it. I liked what they're doing with Nora. I thought it worked really well. I thought it was a good balance with Nora and Constantine and, you know, the threat of Neuron. Um, I, from the trailer, it looks like they know almost immediately that race possessed. And I appreciate that. That is yeah, more interesting. No, yeah. Um, and so I was a little skeptical at the end when, when he starts whistling, just because I'm not interested in yet another, the, the villain was on our team the whole time. Cause like the flash has just ruined that for me. Um, but yeah, I thought that part worked, worked well. Um, who is the eggplant part of this? The eggplant is the emoji in texting Nate. Um, oh, yes. Okay. Rory, that, that was fine. Um, yeah, no, it's perfectly okay. It's a good sort of side um, side story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very silly, um, but it's fine. Um, the best thing that kind of came out of it is while I was wa- washing dishes earlier this week, after we had watched the episode, my person just came up to me and went, hey, 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 babe, I came up with a really good Legends of Tomorrow episode. You want to hear it? I just went, yeah, sure. Zari, not Zari. And then she just walks away. <laughs> That's awesome. She just walks away. And I just went, oh, I love you. Um, yeah. So, no, the eggplant stuff is fine. Um, it's very silly. But I'm glad that uh, Rory was there for it. Since Rory's romanticism has sort of, like, been upped a little bit this season. Mm. Um, Rory loves love. And... <laughs> And the fact that, but also that Zari is aware of him as a romance novelist, mm-hmm. and that that aspect of it is like played really subtly throughout. So I really appreciated that, and so that was fine. Uh, what did you think about the wardrobe, which is probably the meatiest part of this episode? I thought it worked really well. I really enjoyed that. Um, it was a bit on the nose by the end, but um, I mean, the whole none of it was subtle. But I thought I think the chemistry with those actors is so strong that they can. They can make a lot of stuff work. And I, th- I thought in particular the bed scene was surprisingly touching. So, yeah, I-, I really liked that part of the episode. What did you think? I liked it as well. And I appreciated the sort of spin that they provided on like that late aughts, not late, uh, late aughts, um, early teens. Ikea will destroy your relationship thread that came through in a lot of sitcoms, most notably 30 Rock, but circulated in a number of other places as well. And then them just like really literalizing it in a very fun way of like, this is how all of this works sort of thing of like, yeah, no, putting together a wardrobe is difficult. And that is exactly how Sarah Lance would put together that wardrobe and do it all sorts of wrong. Um, and so I liked all of that. I liked the comedy stuff. I liked the more emotional drama stuff. Um, your point about the stuff on the bed was real spot on. And it was just deeply affecting in a way that I wasn't expecting, considering especially that they have like two different actors for it. Um, which I thought was also a really good choice um, to avoid old person makeup, since the show doesn't do that super well, <laughs> as we learned last season. Um, so I really, I really liked that choice, and it made the scene work a lot better. It wasn't distracting, which is what exactly what you wanted to avoid in that sequence. And then just the modernity of being in a relationship with someone and living together and just like all the mail and doing all the dishes and having things that constantly need to be fixed. It's just like, this is what this is. How do we deal with this? So I really appreciated the arc of them committing to each other um, and Sarah in particular, uh, committing to one another and finding... Th- a renewed sense of their relationship through this way. Again, yes, it's very on the nose, 
but it's also just really well done. And the ending of it as, with the as is door mm-hmm. is very good. Yeah. Like it's a very good moment. Yeah. Well, and um, yeah, it, that, that that's really effective. And, and the, the, just the way they like placed that, the, 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 the design and like this, yeah. like the negative space around it was really good. Um, However, the baddie is definitely like, she's possessed. Right. Like they didn't wake up at the same moment. And the last thing we heard was blah, blah, blah is coming. And then Tabitha's coming. Yeah. And then Ava wakes up just after. So like Ava woke up and so did Tabitha. Right. Yeah. Almost certainly. Yeah. 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 And the Ray thing is just like a mislead. So yeah. Misdirect. Sure. Yeah. Because because they uh, definitely made sure to say Tabitha is way worse than Neuron. Um, not that she's the big bad for this season, but she's the big bad. Um, okay. So we'll see what happens after that lovely episode. I mean, I do actually feel pretty safe with the Legends writers to not like fridge or, or bear your gaze, Ava. Um, so I think she's confirmed back for season five anyway. So okay, I think we're good. Okay. Okay, good. Um, but yeah. like that just gave me a little pause of like, are yeah. we? Ser- Please tell me we're not torturing our queer characters. Though on yeah. this show, that is because there's so many of, of them this, now. Of, of the cast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. Um, any other thoughts on Legends, or if not, what wins your week in drama and genre? I'm sorry that there's not a Bebo to hug you to death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. Um, I'll give it to Gentleman Jack only as like sort of an endorsement. Um, I swear I'm going to do an anime corner real soon because there's a lot of good stuff this season. Like a lot of good stuff. Um, not as like strong recommendations in terms of this is something that you would watch it even if you don't enjoy anime like I had with Pro- the Promised Neverland. But there's there's a lot of like really good stuff. So I'm enjoying a lot of what I'm watching and I swear I will talk about it on the podcast. Not next week because it's going to be a weird week next week. But but maybe the week after. But uh, Gentleman Jack, I think, for my week in genre and drama. What about you? Um, I don't know. I'm torn. Maybe maybe I'll give it to Game of Thrones just for Brienne getting knighted because it was really lovely. Um, and Tormund's story about Giant's Milk, which is just and like with the drinking, it was just gross. Um, and delightful. Um. Yeah, I guess I'll give it to Game of Thrones, because I also really like Legends, but I, I'll give it to Game of Thrones, I guess. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our spotlight, uh, or check-in, maybe, on the first half of the the new season, the first season of the 2019 uh, Twilight Zone. So we'll be right back after this. Everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Things happen the way they should. It's all the same number. What are the odds of that? You happy with your life? Don't you want it all? It said that would happen right when it did. Where's our dog? We don't have a dog. Go backwards again. Everything you said would come true has. I changed something. Erased something. We're not meant to be here. Life sometimes goes 
like you don't expect it to. What did you do to me? Turn it off. This is real. That was a trailer for CBS All Access's new take on The Twilight Zone, uh, executive produced, I think, brought to us by Jordan Peele. Um, there have mm-hmm. been five episodes so far, and I don't, I, could, I was trying to find, are there 10 episodes? Are there 13? Do you know in this first season? I think they're only doing 10. 10. Okay, so we're about halfway through. Um, yeah. So, first of all, were you excited about a Twilight Zone reboot in the first place and with Jordan Peele, Noel? And then how do you feel like they've been doing halfway in? I decided about a Twilight Zone reboot with Jordan Peele, though we should note that this project has been in development for like eight years. It was going to be Brian Singer and for a while. Or Brian it was Fuller. going to be Brian Singer for... Vi- no, Brian Singer, Brian Singer. for okay. a really long time. The Fuller was attached to Amazing Stories, which is sort of a Twilight Zone-esque Thank series. That, yes. that never came off the ground, and that was on ABC. Well, the original Amazing Stories was over on ABC. Anyway... Neither here yeah. nor there. Um, Singer had, like, dropped out at some point, or something happened. Um, oh, and, and then... just to be very clear, fuck Brian Singer. Yeah. Okay. Yes, also, <laughs> fuck Brian Singer. Um, yeah. Then Simon Kinberg was going to step in and um, do it in, like, 2016, I think? Um, like, a couple of years ago. And then he left because he got the opportunity to go write and direct Dark Phoenix, which comes out in a couple of weeks. The final incarnation of this version of the X-Men. All the monocultures are dying, mm-hmm. Kate. Um, and then they announced that they were going to put it on All Access. And then they had gotten Jordan Peele um, to and Monkey Paw Productions to come in and not necessarily take over, but definitely uh, have a stronger hand on the wheel, even though Kinberg is still involved. Um, but the degree to which he is involved, I think is kind of murky. Um, it feels very much like Peel, along with a couple of other folks are probably dry- steering this particular ship. Um, so I was pretty excited after they announced that that was what was going to happen was that um, Peel was going to be involved and not only be involved, but was going to provide the narrow step into like the Rod Serling role and provide the narration and the introduction and exit um, out speech. So I was excited about that. And um, so that all felt really good. Um, I am not sure that this is a good show though, right now. Um, And um, we can talk about that on an episode by episode sort of like recap type thing. uh, Cause they produced one really, really good episode. One, decent episode um that uh we can talk about a little bit and then just three kind of what are we doing here type of episodes and it's it's kind of frustrating there are some things there are some consistent things uh visually that i kind of like across that have been happening across the five episodes mainly on an art uh an art and scene design level I don't necessarily like the aesthetics of this show overall, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of how I'm feeling about it. How are you? Answer your own question. Were you excited when they, like, re- rejiggered this uh, with Peel? And how are you feeling about the first five? 
Um, yes, very excited to get Jordan Peele's take on The Twilight Zone. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I, I really enjoy The Twilight Zone. We've done DVD shelves on both it and, and Outer Limits and some of these other uh, anthology shows. It's the granddaddy for a reason. And uh, well, <laughs> there's some big things that – important structural elements of the original Twilight Zone that reboots of this show keep completely messing up and – well get there uh it's utterly befuddling to me but for me the again five episodes in i would disagree i think there are one and a half very good episodes okay one shitty not just like why but you had this really tell why with this cast why episode and then like two and a half that are have some interesting and fun elements and stuff that really works, but uh, ultimately are not all that memorable. That's sort of where mm-hmm. I'm. That's sort of where I'm at with it. And I look forward to seeing if we agree on any of these. Um, yeah. The th- some things I will point to is really enjoying. I really enjoy a lot of the. I I love the casting throughout. Yes. Like every single episode is just like back to back to back with terrific actors and often actors who don't get enough really interesting roles. So that's something that I really appreciate. Um, I think a lot of that, like, I think the the actors are mostly doing a very good job with what they get. Um, And I think the episodes that don't work, I, I usually would point to the writing for why they don't quite come off the ground. Um, The, Opening narration from Jordan Peele is like the the narration itself is I think is fine, but the delivery does not work at all because it is way too performative. That is not Jordan Peele, and that is not what how he speaks. That is not how he holds himself. That is not him. And so because we've seen him on Key and Peele doing parodies of this kind of thing it doesn't work because you just keep waiting for the twist or the little like sparkle in his eye and and then it doesn't come and so it just feels awkward and i feel like so like they they're like oh we're gonna do the rod serling thing and so then they took rod serling's thing and they just had jordan peele do it instead of taking the rod serling idea and filtering and say okay what is a jordan peele version of this and i think that that is um an issue a problem with quite a number of elements here uh the episodes that work best are the original ones the episodes that the episode that works least is trying for original but is just really ham-fisted and the episodes that are forgettable are the ones that are new twists on original twilight zone episodes for me and i think that you know like i think there are some really strong elements here so if they get the writing together this could be great um, but it's just, it's not, it's not there halfway through the first season for me. So how much overlap do you think we have? <laughs> um, well, let's just kind of go down the list. Um, I think we can, uh, are we both in agreement that Nightmare with 30,000 feet is just bad? Like real bad? Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> the The ending oh, no, is, it's... the ending is not good, but yeah. I think it's okay. I think it's fine. I think it's very forgettable okay. and, and not the most memorable thing. The one that's just bad is the Wunderkind. Oh no, the Wunderkind one is also very, very bad on a number of different levels. Yeah, um, and it's 
way too long. It's like 40 minutes. No. That's like 20 minutes. This is the largest problem with this new incarnation of the Twilight Zone is that all the episodes are too long. Yeah. Um, Replay, which is the best, mm-hmm. um, gets away with its runtime because there's a good amount of stuff happening across its runtime. Mm-hmm. That is not the case in almost the rest of these episodes. Um, even Nightmare at 30,000 30, Feet, which is 37 minutes and the shortest of the five so far, mm-hmm still feels too long for its premise and what it does in that time period. Um, Because you can do it in 22. You can do it in 30. You could have cut seven minutes somewhere and it would have been fine. You could easily do it in 22. You could definitely have done. And that's what I was uh, pointing to with, like, these different iterations of the Twilight Zone. They miss out on probably the most important aspect of the Twilight Zone. And having thought, uh-huh. like, done segments on Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, and some of these other anthology shows, the thing that makes the Twilight Zone work is the fact that it's, like, 25 minutes! These are, yep. like, they don't work if, if you give them too much time, if you give them too much space. And, I like, Replay, I think, is a really terrific, like, three quarters of an episode. And then it, I think, I feel like it doesn't quite stick... Yeah, it doesn't. The, the ending, like the very ending, is great, but like the yeah. last, like the turn, doesn't yeah. work for me. Yeah, no, that I agree with, and the way that that turn gets structured is, it's not great, and it's too, it's too heavy handed and on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 sort of like where that episode stumbles, which is frustrating, but it's also like. Of the five we've had, it's like the most enjoyable, not necessarily the most enjoyable, but it's the most coherent and most the, thought through. Yeah, it's the most uh, thought, thought-provoking thought and effective. And I mean, yeah. it goes in with a clear intention and really, I think, nails what it's going for. It, it, it And especially the Twilight Zone is allegory thing, which is, you know, yeah. everywhere in the Twilight, the original Twilight Zone and the most effective moments uh, and, and episodes of the original. Yeah, and I feel like, I think the comedian... If it lost like fifteen minutes, would also be a really, really good episode, and yeah, it just goes on too long. No, comedian goes on too long, and it also suffers from the fact that it's not specific enough. I feel like mm-hmm. I think that there's a really good story in there talking about a comedian of color giving up parts of himself to get laughs, and but in this sense, it's giving up things that don't necessarily connect to his identity as a comedian of color. And so you could swap him out with literally any other comedian and get kind of the same effect, I feel like. Um, and that's that's kind of troubling when you set it up really nicely. And you do a whole thing at the end about like me and you needing to like kind of like scrap together of like get pushed together with... Um, uh, Amara Karan, who plays the um, yeah Didi, yeah plays Didi, and is like, all right, no, we, this is this is how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We don't give up on me because we both need each other, type of deal because of who we are. And there's, it's just like, oh, so you were aware of how this worked, <laughs> you just didn't want to do anything with it, okay? And that's kind of how I felt about it. But more than anything, it was very much a why is this episode 55 minutes? There's no reason for it because it becomes really clear what's happening very quickly. And immediately, immediately. And also 
it becomes very clear what the twist is. Mm. Like, immediately. It's just like, no, no, I know what this is going to be, but also... I like Tracy Morgan in this episode He's so a lot. Good. I also He's like Nanjiani. Real good. I think Camille does a really good job too. Yeah, yeah, I think he does too. But it's like Tracy Morgan just kind of comes in and just nails it. Yeah, and it's just like this is real good. This is the best use of Tracy Morgan in something where he's not playing Tracy Morgan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a very long time. <laughs> yeah, no, he, like the the little shot of him with the smoke is just very powerful for me i didn't know which ending it was going to be if it was going to be the ending we yeah. got or if it was going to be the ending where he erased his his mentor i guess or like the person who inspired him to keep things vague yeah. for people who haven't seen it um so so especially with the the mentor of the girlfriend you know i didn't know which way it was going to uh-huh. go but the yeah the, the the steps that we get along the way like is with the dog as soon as the dog thing happens we know what's going on and yeah. and it takes it takes the the lead way too long to figure it out and i think the pivot to like well i can just keep it's very it's very um a little shop force you know uh yeah. that that i think is is really effective and and there's some interesting stuff there but like yeah why is sh- it shouldn't be it should be an hour i like the closing little last shot and that how that connects which i somehow didn't see coming i should have but i didn't um but how that connects very nicely with other things like for example <laughs> made me think of the continental <laughs> which is obviously oh, sure. the shining riff that they did on on key and peel um but i thought that that one worked uh but again way too long like why do people keep trying to remake twilight zone as hour long episodes and i'm look also looking at you black mirror yeah i don't know why they do that because the it, it i i i understand that it might be for like a production level and mm-hmm. that's what they're dealing with but there's no reason for almost all these episodes to function this way yeah and it's really and that comes through really hard in uh wonderkind mm-hmm. as well yeah um and i should note that i misspoke um it's diara kilpatrick who's playing dd amara karan oh, okay. plays rena so i just rena, yeah and she was yeah. she was also really good in, in that she, yeah she was yeah yeah um but let's talk about nightmare at Thirty Thousand feet uh because i think that that in the the a traveler and nightmare thirty thousand feet are really connected because it's a remake of nightmare twenty thousand feet and a remake of the Martians are due on Maple Street, um and these are two of the most uh like iconic original Twilight Zone episodes and yeah I think they're differently successful now the original nightmare twenty thousand feet I think holds up and is still like really creepy despite like how cheesy it looks um, and that's all down to the performances I think this one work is a good and interesting twist on that and updating so doing a similar thing but in a different way which i appreciated except that i mean i think adam scott does a does a good enough job but i feel like the episode wants you to just assumes you're going to go with him because he's adam scott in a way that i wasn't willing to um and that really affected how much i was on his side you know, with what's going on. It was like, well, obviously there's something else happening. Um, and this doesn't make it like I, I was not with him in a way that I think I needed to be for the episode to, to really sing. Yeah. And um, so I agree. Both both versions, I think, of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet still work really well. Mm-hmm. Both the Shatner and, and the Lithgow, Lithgow yeah. version, version from the Twilight Zone movie. Both of those still work really, really well. And like you said, 
comes down to the performances because Shatner's terrific in the episode. Lithgow's real good mm-hmm. in the movie. And it also gave us a really great Third Rock from the Sun joke when those two people, those two actors met in Third Rock from the Sun mm-hmm. about something on the wing of the plane while I was flying. That happened to me too. What are the odds? It's just very good. Um, <laughs> but I do agree with you that we're just not with Adam Scott's character here, uh, Justin Sanderson. And it's tough to really latch on to him. And so while I like the reconfiguration of it, of the threat to a podcast, a, a mystery podcast about the flight that he's on crashing, mm-hmm. um, the the sheer inevitability of what's going to happen is really frustrating because it's just like, no, no, he's just going to arrange for this to- happen mm-hmm. he he causes this i've I, i've seen this already <laughs> type of thing um so as much as i sort of enjoy particularly like nicholas lee as the pilot um and katie finley as the uh flight attendant mm-hmm. um that's all real good but there's just not enough there there in the script and but also like scott i also think is just like completely lost mm-hmm. of like what energy am I supposed to have here exactly? Um, and so like the end of it, of like this call of him being like this guy who calls for civility mm-hmm. and the, the road, uh, the road to perdition is paved with good intentions type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't land at all. Um, and doesn't really make sense. And yeah. that's really what like levels this episode out is like real bad for me. Is like the ending doesn't really work for me. Doesn't work at and all. It, it doesn't work no. on many levels. It doesn't work because it as soon as there's a part two to the podcast and you find out that you know what you find yeah. out in that. In case people haven't seen it yet, um, it, it it immediately raises a flag because that information that you like get in part two would be in any part one of a podcast yes. like this. It would be like, there would be at least a mention of it and then they would get back yeah. to it later. And so it feels like a total cheat. Um, and it yep. breaks sort of the mythology that they've established that the entire episode is predicated upon. Um, yes. I don't believe it because of uh, like the, what we've seen. It doesn't make sense. It's not earned. Um, also the, 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 I guess I guess the one character isn't on the manifest, so it would make like he they wouldn't know that he was on the plane to begin with, so they wouldn't know that he's missing at the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that I guess kind of works, but that also that doesn't explain how um, the thing like okay, spoiler alert! If you haven't seen it, skip ahead like let's say thirty seconds. The podcast says that everyone survived. That would include the pilot. The pilot yeah. who's knocked out on the floor and then they crash into the water. So does the other guy who come into the, sh- the the plane wake him up and save his life? Or does he wake himself up after being knocked out when he starts to drown in a completely different... That doesn't... It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And um, if the pilot is alive at the end, which is what the podcast says, and even though it doesn't make any sense, then they would know what happened. So, yeah, like, there, there's, there's that. And then I also don't believe a group of people, including a child, all conspire to cover up a, a violent murder. Um, and, like, I, I just don't, I don't, 
I don't think it has anything to do with what the episode, like there's not a theme to the episode. And I think a big part of why the original works, a huge part of why the original works is that he was right. And so they invert this and it doesn't, doesn't, you can't just invert it and expect it's going to work the same way because it doesn't. Right. Well, the inversion is because they want to like make a commentary about this people complaining about the death of civility. Yeah. And but it's not a good point to make, and they make it really poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the, like, the, the for me, parts of this episode work, and the, but then it does, it does absolutely collapse at the, at the end. Um, I was actually more excited about A Traveler than I think you were. I loved Steve Yoon's performance. I thought the uh-huh. way, his performance was terrific, and also the way they shot him, he was just, like, terrifying. <laughs> well, terrifying is the wrong way. He looked really creepy and malevolent, um, and I would put him right up there with, uh, Tracy Morgan for, like really nailing the tone uh, yes. of what the episode's going for and what the what the it feels like this this version of the show is going for, and I also like some of the other performances in that episode too. So while it's very like clear where we're going with it, I think it's a very well executed version of the story they wanted to tell. I think it's actually probably the best executed of all of these. It just isn't as like it's not striving for something as meaningful as as say replay is or if the comedian had really nailed it what the comedian's going for yeah and see i really like Tra- a traveler i think it's very entertaining but i also think wow this is a really good x-files episode that glenn morgan had in his shelf and just kind of rejiggered <laughs> a little bit okay. um because that's what this is to me in a lot of ways um just Scully and Mulder don't show up. This is what happens when Scully and Mulder don't show up. <laughs> Interesting. This doesn't feel very X-Files to me at all. This Because this does feel the Martians are due on Ma- Maple Street. Or Ma- whatever yeah, the name and is. I didn't, yeah, and I didn't make that connection to it at all, really. Huh. Um, okay. So, no, I think that it's, I think that this is an episode that mainly works on Ewan's performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's to its benefit. Um, Noel Murray's review over at AV Club does like a nice hook on explaining this is what happens when fake news happens. And I think that that's a good sort of read on the episode. Um, except for the fact that a lot of the fake news is not fake news. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's actual things that are happening in this tiny town. And it's just the way in which he manipulates people. So I don't know that necessarily works, but I think it's what the episode and Morgan sort of want it to be. It -hmm. just doesn't necessarily land as well, but it's still a really tight hour because Glenn Morgan knows how to write a really tight hour of television. And I think that's the big deal here with this episode is that he knows exactly how to pace this episode and it's paced really well. Um, it's really well direct- directed um, by Anna Lily Arampour, um, who uh, has done a couple of films. And it's just like, this is, I think, probably the best looking of the episodes. Um, and there's just a really thoughtful staging. And like you were saying, and how they shoot um, UN's character uh, is just in particular really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um... That like and even just like the styling, like the suit that they put him in and the hat works really yep. great. Um, the pairing his performance with I actually am not familiar with the the lead actor. Um, her performance, like these two really stoic and reserved performances, I think 
go really, really well together. I, and again, speaking to the casting, Kinnear as the sheriff or whatever, terrific. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's it's very well balanced. And yes. like I said earlier, for me, this all comes down to the, the writing and how successful the writing is because because they do such a great job casting um, and, and everybody they bring in is really good at their jobs. <laughs> it comes down to how well you can execute the ideas. Um, and it's not like you have seasons to build a performance. It's just what can you go from what's on the page. So I think yeah. what this points to me, for me, is like, it's just stylish and fun, and and really, I think like this is the one I was checking the clock by far the least, and yeah. and I'm hoping that we're going to get more like this in the back half. Yeah, no, hopefully more like this, um, and fewer like the Wonder Kid. Should we um, should which, we talk about how bad yeah, that is? Yeah, it's super bad on like multiple levels. Um, there's Poor the John fact Cho. that yeah, Alison Tolman just... too. I mean, like, come on, they're so good. Yeah, yeah. and John Larroquette for a scene. And it's like, <laughs> what are we doing here, everyone? Why is this the thing? No, so there's just a lot of like bad issues about this from the fact that look, I don't know a lot of eleven year olds, but this is not how eleven year olds really behave. Mm-hmm. Um which is a large problem with this episode. Um there's the fact that we never actually see that Cho's good at his job. Yeah. Which is another problem with this episode. Um I don't know why Tolman comes back mm-hmm. <laughs> um to I think do this. I think a lot of this works if you make the kid a teenager. If you make the kid like 15 or 16, I think some of, like, if you make the kid 16 and then you like, because there are people right now talking about the voting age should be lowered to 16. Then yeah. I think you can get away with some of it being more plausible. Um, but as soon, as soon as we're supposed to think that John Cho's character actually believes in his candidate and his candidate is a child, any sympathy we have for this character is gone because they're an idiot. Yes. Um. In the, the initial ask, I as I was watching this episode, I kept trying to, like, and this is something I'm gonna have to do as I think about the next coming episodes of Veep. Like, you have to try to accept the premise that they're giving you, and then go, okay, how are they doing with that premise? Because yeah. the palette, to quote Dead with the palette king rebels at this premise um and, and and so the premise that like an 11 year old is running for president and actually can could win somehow like there's so many reasons that that doesn't work that i had to spend a lot of energy trying to go like okay but but if you accept that part how is everything yeah. else and then everything else didn't work because it was just it's they're trying to go for a Trump an, uh, analogy, a Trump analog. And so they go with, see, look, he's a baby. He, he's a he's a spoiled child. And it's ridiculous to think a spoiled child should be president. So therefore, ah, eh, ah, eh, see what we're, it's not clever. It's not interesting. No, and I don't have not. any sympathy for characters who get a, a, a child elected president. And I do <laughs> like by thinking, well, you technically, mother, you're the, the president. So like. It's just none of it, just none of it works. Yeah. And there's like glimmers of like, oh, maybe Oliver, who's the little kid, um, 
is actually kind of smart. Like this, the concepts that are sort of circulating around, but he's, he's not. And if he had actually been like a mastermind, which is sort of hinted at with the Homer thing. Yeah. With the Homer thing. It's just like, Oh, the kids actually, the kids actually got chops. And then it's like, no, he doesn't. He's just an erratic little kid. And she went, that's significantly less interesting series that's significantly less compelling and also why are you wasting john cho and allison tolman on this episode yeah well and again it's way too long it's way yeah, too long for this um and like i mean bless them that they sell they do their best to sell what what they have but um the i didn't even care about the ending with with john cho yeah. which that's supposed to really like that's the framing device that's supposed to really kick in but so like so many things about it just didn't work that I didn't care at the end when I guess he's there's certain like I I shouldn't say in case people haven't seen it yet but um yeah I didn't care at the end and don't ask me to sympathize with like, like it, I think they just needed several more like runs through the writer's room like talking out like, and clarifying what what is the point of this? What are you trying to say? And is it something that a million other people haven't said before? Yeah. There's a, there's just a flaw right at the, the heart of this one and it just doesn't work and it's, it's too bad. Yeah. But you is. still, you still liked it more than Nightmare at 30,000 feet? No, I think that both this and Nightmare at uh, 30,000 feet are just real bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fair yeah. enough. Okay. Well, should people check out the Twilight Zone? Well, we didn't really talk about replay. Oh, let's talk. Um, okay, let's talk more about replay. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Um. So w- first thing about replay is that wow, this show hates states hate hates state troopers, but also justifiably so. Um, <laughs> I would say they hate this state trooper. Well, they also don't really like Greg Kinnear's character very much oh, either, and that's a state trooper true. too. That's true. Touche. Um, um, but no, they don't like, and this is also like Glenn Flesher, um, who plays the state trooper, is so good. He's so good. Um, yeah. But yeah, but also uh, Sanaa Lathan, who plays the mom, who plays uh, Nina, mm-hmm. is just fantastic. So no, I like this episode of. Rewinding through the camcorder, the old technology, I think, is a really good use, um, which makes, like, the ending of it really, really good. Um, when it breaks and it's just like, you can't fix that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one knows how to fix that. <laughs> um, so all of the story of, like, the different ways in which Nina, who has, like, left her family and made all the right choices, can't make a can't figure out the best way to get away from um, the trooper, uh, Lashki, who keep the, everyone pronounces as if it's a Lashki, which I think is also really good. Um, can't find like the best way to escape him because he's this omnipresent force, this malignant force that just follows them around everywhere. So all of the allegory is really, again, very obvious, but it's much better executed than it is in, virtually any of the other episodes Mm -hmm. um and i think that just generally up until the fact of we're going to go through these um black spaces that have been abandoned Mm -hmm. to get to this to get to the college i think that there's something really good there but it's too it's too brief 
a concept and there's not enough t- there's not enough time to explore that concept literally that it feels like a little bit of an afterthought which is a shame but then the showdown at the gates of the college are just it's a little too heavy-handed and it's a little too on the nose and that it deflates the episode just at the wrong point and so that just keeps it from hitting just like the right height um so that's how I felt about it. So it's I still think it's like their best overall episode, but it just it just misses the mark just a little bit, but it's still really good. Well, and it's the most specific and that's not a coincidence. Yeah. It's the one most specifically divine most specifically centered in a point of view and a in a in a experience and in a in, in a, a very real fear that millions of Americans deal with every day. And uh, in, in, so, so like we were saying the comedian, you know, I enjoyed it more than you did, I think, but, but it lacked specificity. Um, this one, <laughs> the Wonderkind had, had specificity, but plenty of other problems. This one, I think really put all that together. Like, in the right way. Like this story is not anywhere near as interesting if it's a white family with the camcorder. Right. right? And, and, and so you have all the dynamics of the characters who felt very developed and lived in, in a short period of time, you have the flailing attempts of Nina to change what feels like destiny. Um, I love that. We see her do many things. We do not see her chastise her son. Or tell him to, or tell him to be quiet. Um, when he starts heating up talking with the officer, and I loved that choice. Um, that that not only would that not have helped, but the show, like in the various things she's going to try, she's not going to tell her son to 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 just be quiet and take the abuse. Um, so yeah. I thought that you know, like so like there there are choices like that that are really interesting and feel again very specific throughout throughout the episode then you layer on top really great performances from Sinai Lathan and and just like the whole cast that help that just elevates it then you get the specificity of like the design of the camcorder which I really loved and the music choices the design of the diner was was really fun. like I kind of want to go find a diner and get some get some eggs right now <laughs> all the eggs and bacon um and it just you know you throw in the pacing, the escalating stakes, and I mean, maybe it's just it does. When we get to the 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 solution, it just feels it doesn't quite work for me because the escalating violence and stakes are so real and yeah. so effective that it feels like too easy of a solution. Okay. Um, and so that's part of what doesn't work for me about like the talking down thing at mm-hmm. the end. And, and now I think the big part of why the ending works, um, or the, why their, their ultimate way to get him to college works is just like all the other people to not be isolated. Right. And I think if they had, I think, I th- so I think there's like, it, I think for me, it almost works. It, it's like, it comes really close um to and so it's really just a minor issue for me yeah 
but um yeah because because they so like horrifyingly sell the inevitability and the yes. fear and uh the desperation of the characters then maybe it's like what you're saying with the timing like the pacing like a little bit more time getting to the 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 solution like more time in those other spaces maybe would have helped but it feels a little too like oh we just needed to go talk to your brother and that solves everything <laughs> you know yeah it's very much a return home sort of thing which they make very explicit yeah of like this is what saved you was returning to your family to your roots and acknowledging who you are yeah but i think that also is a bit of a in this case i think that works but there are plenty of people who yeah. That's yeah. the wrong answer. That is not. That's yes. not a universal. It feels like a universal threat and problem, with a with, you know, told through a very specific character's lens and point of view. Um, that is given an answer that does not feel genuinely universal. Like there are plenty of people who it is the right thing for them to not go home, and home yes. is dangerous. Home is not safe. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that so that maybe maybe that's why it didn't work as well for me in that second part. Yeah, but I, but I love the 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 last coda, the way it ends. I think is really mm-hmm. um really effective and yeah, yeah. I I I I, I like the episode quite a bit. Um. So one last thing I'll say is that everyone, um, you should maybe watch this. Or the nice thing is, like, you don't. Don't watch the episodes we didn't like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're not, not sure, start with some of these yeah. other ones. Yeah. yeah. But one thing to, if you do decide to like watch all of it, mm-hmm. keep your eye out for continuity type stuff. Yeah. Um, since there's some real good prop continuity in design happening on this show from most notably, um, it picks up, you can notice it very much immediately in like Nightmare on 30,000 feet where the mp3 player with the podcast has this kind of vintage retro speaker design which is very cool and very noticeable and then you go watch replay and the speakers for the tv in the hotel room are modeled exactly the same as the um as the mp3 player and you go oh i see you show on this kind of vintage television vintage technology type of concept i think is really neat and then the trailer for next week's episode uh the six degrees of freedom shows someone playing with an airplane that's a Northern Gold Star plane. And I just went, okay, show, I see you. I'm kind of I'm kind of picking up on these little Easter eggs, but I'm really intrigued by you reusing that particular aesthetic a couple of times. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Nanjiani is on a cover of one of the magazines at, in the oh, in, at, in, for Nightmare on okay. 30,000 Feet. Yeah. So there's just like little things like that. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those kind of like little things I like. Um, the idea that there's a sense of unity within this world, mm-hmm. I think, is kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, even if the episodes in and of themselves are completely standalone. Yeah, yeah. And like, again, I just keep going back to over again. There's a bunch of really talented people working on this, so if yes. they can work some of the kinks out for some of the writing, I think that will. Like there's, I think there's potential for this to to really be terrific, and right now it's just kind of it's it's up it's middling because there are heights and there are definite valleys, peaks and valleys. Um, and so we'll see what happens. I'm gonna probably keep watching. 
Yeah, no, I think I'm going to keep watching, but it's also one of those instances in which if I didn't already have my subscription to All Access up and running for oh, the Oh, I fight, wouldn't buy it just for this. I would not buy it just for this. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. Okay, well, on that note, listeners let us know whether you are watching the Twilight Zone reboot. Um, you can A few show notes here. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or you can uh, find our M4A chapter feed and MP3 unchapter feed in iTunes. We appreciate ratings and reviews. We are also up on Stitcher. And then, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 